Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Manor Park Podcast. This podcast covers rape and pedophilia cases, as well as highlight organizations that make it their mission in this world to fight for children. I appreciate you clicking on to my podcast and listening to these episodes. I also have survivor interviews that I share as well, which can be very graphic and heavy. But it's much needed to be heard in this day and age. Because, like a lot of people, I myself was not aware of how troubling and how deep this issue really was. Until I started hearing survivors and listening to the heinous and horrific things they went through. So thank you for clicking on this podcast and listening to these stories. While I know they're deep and disturbing, we need to know what goes on with the victims and survivors and what they went through. So that we can try to identify the problem. And then we can figure out how to solve the problem. My podcast is not for the light of heart. It's not for the faint-hearted at all. It's not for anybody with a weak stomach. These stories will change you mentally. They will make you question your faith. They will make you wonder, why is it that the systems that are in place do not protect children and do not give justice to survivors? And that's what I want it to do. I want it to make you think. I want it to make you go and be curious enough to do the research as well. And to go out there and seek the answers and find the truth to all of this. Because somebody has to. I myself is just a man who was tired of seeing these babies being harmed. And from there, it grew. And I found out so many different traumas that I never knew existed. So thank you for joining me on this journey. Thank you for clicking on this episode. Thank you for supporting me. It does mean a lot, and it's much appreciated. And I'm glad to know that since I've started this journey, there are so many individuals out there that care about protecting children and helping survivors like I do. With that, here's the latest episode. Trigger warning. The podcast you're about to listen to may contain sexual and violent acts committed against men, women, and children. If such acts offend you in any way, please do not listen any further. This podcast was made for an audience of 18 years and older and contains mature and explicit content. Also, this podcast may also contain a high level of profanity and explicit language. If such things offend you in any way, shape, or form, please do not listen to the podcast any further this is your last trigger warning if anything that i mentioned above offends you please do not listen thank you warning the cases that i talk about here are under the assumption that the individuals that are accused allegedly committed these crimes unless they have been convicted in court for the tri- for the crimes that they have been charged with This is by no means me making any kind of accusations whatsoever. I am simply commenting on news articles and stories that have been shared with me through individuals who may or may not have experienced these said stories. This is not fact. This is purely my opinion. Unless they have been through court and they have been convicted. Please understand that moving forward. Thank you. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Man Apart Podcast. This is going to be episode 48, titled, Finding Love and Protection, my interview 
with Elise and Big Red. So this case is going to be about domestic violence. This story, this interview. This is Elise and Big Red's story. But before we continue further on, what is domestic violence? Domestic violence is the willful intimidation, physical assault, battery, sexual assault, and or other abusive behavior as part of a systematic pattern of power and control perpetrated by one intimate partner against another. It includes physical violence, sexual violence, threats, economic and emotional or psychological abuse. The frequency and severity of domestic violence varies dramatically. I get mad because I cannot believe somebody would put their hands on somebody's wife, girlfriend, partner, boyfriend, husband, somebody that they claim they love, and just beat the shit out of them, hurt them, stab them, you know, shoot them, kill them. For what? It's, it is something that is very odd. And I just, I don't understand it. But, I am here for the survivors. And I am here to help give their voice a platform. And that's what we did. I found Elise on TikTok and I saw her story. It was kind of, basically I can tell y'all it's kind of like The Bodyguard. Remember that movie with uh, with Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner? You know, he had that sword so sharp he put a sheet of silk or something or like a like a napkin of silk or some kind of napkin and it just, when it, when it, when it floated down it just sliced it in half. Well, Big Red don't have a huge, huge ass sharp katana like that, but uh, or katana, like that, but, uh, you know, they did fall in love, I mean, there's no spoiler to that, I mean, it's just, everybody knows they're married, so, here's the interview with Elise, and Big Red. Hey everybody, so, this is going to be my interview with Elise and Red, and they're going to share their story with us today, so Elise, I know that you're a domestic violence survivor, and you have a very unique story that I saw on TikTok a while back. And we mean you got together. We talked. And now we're here today to share that, share your story on the podcast. So why don't you start from the beginning? Hey, I'm Elise. Hi. Was kidnapped and held hostage in a 10 by 10 room when I was 21 years old and pregnant with my oldest child. Um, the man who kidnapped me was a man that grew up in the same community as me and his family was a well-known family in the community. Um, but I just never (coughs) liked him. I never had any feelings for him and my gut feeling was bad from the beginning. Um, he continued to pursue me and asked me to go out on a date. And finally my friends convinced me, you know, do it. And so I told him, yeah, let's go on a date, but it's really not a date. You can just go with us as friends. And we got to the bar. He bought me a drink and I don't remember the rest of the night. Um, I woke up in his bed the next morning and asked him if he used protection. And he said, no, um, Four weeks later, I found out I was pregnant with my oldest daughter, and I 
told my family who were strong religious family and they really encouraged me to try to make it work. Um, my mom's words were she didn't want me to embarrass the family. Um, I stayed with him, but there were signs from the beginning that he was not a nice man. I mean, just a few weeks yeah. into it, he choked me, pushed me against the wall. But he attacked me really bad when I was four and a half months pregnant with my daughter. He gave me acute kidney failure and stabbed me with um, a butter knife in the abdomen. It was one of those oh, butter knives that has the teeth on it. Yeah, I need to talk about. Yeah, and I, I drove myself to the hospital because he refused to drive me. He said I didn't need to go. So when I got there, I told them that I had fallen down the stairs and landed on an open exacto knife. I don't know why I didn't just tell them the truth, other than just pure fear for my own yeah. life. Um, but so I was admitted for a little over a week, and then when I was released. I was released to him having a U-Haul packed and telling me that I was to get in the U-Haul and he was going to take me to his mom's for a better life. And if I didn't get in the U-Haul, he would kill me and my daughter that I was wow. pregnant with. Um, he drove so, us. Sorry, go ahead. So what was running through your mind with all that? Uh, what the hell did I get myself into? Yeah. <laughs> Um, just the first couple, just the, just the first couple sentences of your story. I mean, oh my God, you know, um, I have to, I have to ask though, what, so when you, when you went to the bar with him and everything like that, um, do you think that you were, do you, do you think that you were roofied or anything like that? Do you think that maybe he slipped something into your drink? Oh yeah. I, I, I truly believe that. Um, I don't have any proof of it, but like, I was in my prime of drinking at that time. Like I, I could put him down and yeah, I had one drink, like one drink that I remember having. And I set out to only have one drink that night because I wasn't comfortable and I blacked out. And when I woke up, I wasn't hung over like your typical hungover. Right. It was a different feeling. It was like a different type of, I guess, grogginess, sickness, yeah. Type feeling. Man. Just kind of like yeah. I didn't really know, kind of like an out of body experience. I didn't really know where I was at. Didn't know, like, really disorientated. Wow. So he get so you get pregnant by him. You know, your parents tell you to go ahead, and they say go ahead and stay with them so it doesn't embarrass the family. What 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 did your mom mean by not by that it was going to be embarrassing the family if you well, didn't stay with them? My mom and I didn't have a good relationship. My mom is an alcoholic herself. Um, yeah. My growing up life was not amazing. Um, she strived to be the perfect family on the outside, but behind closed doors, it was hell. And yeah. she didn't want me to ruin the name that she had built, you know. Like so, our public image and everything. Yes. I got you. I got you. So you go through all this, you, you, you end up being four months pregnant with, with, uh, with his child. And then he gets mad and stabs you in the, in the stump, in the abdomen with a butter knife and refuses to take you to the hospital. You take yourself, you lie to cover for him out of fear for him and everything like that, out of fear of him, I should say. And then he takes you in a U-Haul to give you a better life. Yeah. What, 
so what was life like when you got to his to his mom's place? Well, I was not allowed any cell phone contact with anybody. I wasn't allowed any internet. I wasn't allowed any computer. You know, and this was back in 2008 before there was any social media really other than MySpace, I think is what I had back then. Um, So it was easy back then really to remove all contact from somebody. And I wasn't allowed to have any money. I was, you know, pretty much their maid from the start. And then I started caring for his terminally ill stepdad. Um, And it's, it was hell. It was hell. It was just, she was just as vicious and evil as him and made it very hard to have any form of voice or happiness or anything um when i went into labor it even was a inconvenience for her and that was her grandchild i was giving birth to yeah what was um what so why did why did they have all those restrictions on you where you couldn't have money couldn't have any kind of contact with anybody like like what was their reasoning behind all that that they told you uh they would tell me I didn't deserve it and that I didn't earn it and that I wasn't trustworthy. Um, the real yeah, reason they, was they didn't want people to see the bruises and see the truth. Yeah. I mean, yet, yeah, yeah. Cause that, that that's some flawed logic even in, in itself because yet they don't trust you, but you're in their house. Yeah. You know, if I don't trust somebody, they're not, they're definitely not going to live with me. You know, uh, um, that's the way I look at life. Um, I can't trust you at my home. What makes me, you know, want to have, you know, like, I don't know. I just know that uh, that's that's very odd for them to, to do that to somebody. But obviously, the real reason is so they can, you know, basically exploit you for labor and uh, do whatever the hell they want to do with nobody finding out, like you said. Yeah. Your daughter gets born. They were, you know, that they, they didn't even want to, did, did, did her father, did uh, did the mother, did his mom or anything come with you to the hospital, or did you have to drive yourself as well while you were giving birth? He, his mom drove me to the hospital that night. Um, she, they always put on a good persona of being like perfect people around other people. So I knew yeah. that when I gave birth, it was going to be this big ordeal. And so when it actually was confirmed, yes, that I was in labor. She ended up calling, like, all these people I didn't even know. I gave birth to in front of 10 people, and I barely even knew them. Um, She made this big ordeal about, oh, my first granddaughter. But then as soon as we were away from those people, she didn't care. Yeah. Did uh, did your parents come? Did any of your family show up over there, or were they, or were they even told about it? No, they didn't actually even know I gave birth until she was 10 days old. So, yeah. So, um, because of the no con, because of no contact with the outside and everything like that, did your parents ever at all go out looking for you or or trying to find out where you were at, or or were they trying to, or were they handling the communication on their end with your family? My so my fa- my parents split up when I was younger. My dad was at this point. My dad was passed on. Um, yeah. I really only had a relationship with my mom. She knew where I was the whole time, but didn't care enough to either 
even come look. Um, and she had told my family that I ran away with him and that that was my choice. Huh. Wow. And my grandparents, who were my everything, I believe in my heart, and I know in my heart, because my grandma told me before she passed, that if I would have been truthful with them, or if they would have known the truth, that they would have come and helped me and saved me. But my grandfather was dying of cancer, like, during all this, and I didn't, I didn't want to put that on them. That was me. I, I totally I totally can understand something like that as well because I mean it's already a stressful event when somebody goes through cancer. Being somebody that has seen multiple family members who I love dearly go through it as well, it takes a toll on an entire family. And then you add a situation like this, it gets even worse. I, I totally can understand that and get that. Yeah. When, so you have your daughter, your mom finds out about ten days after your, your daughter's born and everything like that. How does life continue on for you? So with you and your daughter. I told so when I had my daughter and then um she was ten days old, they told me to email my family and let them know that I had had my daughter. So I had opened my email and actually found an email from my grandma that my grandfather had taken himself off dialysis and was getting ready to go to heaven. So I actually begged my ex to take me back down to see the family. And my um, grandfather actually passed away with my daughter on his chest. I kick myself every day that I did not just tell them right then and there, like, I need help. But I stupidly, like, got back in the car with my ex. He took me back up to Washington. And I saved up, like, every dime, nickel, and penny I could find, steal, whatever, And I had enough to buy a train ticket when my daughter Gracie turned three weeks old and her and I got on a train and came back down to my hometown. And then it was just this back and forth for the next three months. It was, he, he would convince me that he was this good guy. I would try to work it out for Gracie and then he would attack me. Um, But the last attack was, November 19th of 2008 and he attacked me for six hours and I walked away from that attack with severe headbutt call head butted like in the head um concussion yeah I I had a concussion I had cauliflower ear I had two broken vertebrae bruised ribs Jesus um and then Gracie was diagnosed with PT oh and I had I had hot oil burns from head to toe um, because he threw hot oil on me. And I was drugged from one room to another by my hair. Um, And then Gracie was diagnosed with PTSD from that night. So Gracie was diagnosed with PTSD from her pediatrician. And we were told that she would struggle with connection with men probably the rest of her life. Um, Gotcha. So my ex was arrested on a Thursday night. The next day he was released on a release agreement. And part of the release agreement was to go back to his mom's in Washington. And instead, one of the first things he tried to do was break into my best friend's house that I was staying at. Um, 
And then I, I just decided to disappear. I just disappeared for like two weeks from everybody. I didn't talk to anybody. Yeah. And this big handsome man, big red, kind of was like, where did she go? And he reached out to me, was like, where did you go? Like, are you okay? And so I, you know, kind of told him what was going on. And he was like, you don't have to hide from us. You know, we want you to just still come hang out. And so I was still, so I went back. I was hanging out with my friends. And one night yeah. I just said, hey, Big Red. Well, his name's Derek. We didn't call him Big Red back then. But I was like, hey, Derek, uh, I'll pay you $100 a night to be my bodyguard. And he was like, uh, okay. <laughs> so, and, so how did you know, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit. So how did you know uh, Big Red Derek or Big Red? Well, we actually met in high school. So a friend of ours, a girl that was in a class with me and then worked with Derek, um, she introduced us in high school and she actually told me, I know the man you're going to marry. And I saw him and I was like, oh, hell no, I will not marry that. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> That was the same with me. I was, now I was shallow back then, and I was like, "No." So then we, um, Big Red was actually acquaintances with my ex, and my ex took me, made me go to this party, and I walked into the party, and I looked across the room, and there was Derek, Big Red, sitting at the table, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, not that guy!" <laughs> and but he immediately like knew something was wrong like you could just tell he immediately started kind of asking me questions and like why are you with him and um we just kind of stayed in contact after that it was only about two months before my ex went to jail that i reconnected with him yeah so i got a fun fact as well for y'all um I know this is your story and everything like that, but it, there's some parallels because with my wife as well. So she has a friend named Derek and when they, my wife has cerebral palsy, so she has atrophy in the left side of her body and her hand is kind of malformed a little bit from that atrophy. So when she was a kid, she used to get picked on a lot. And, uh, she had a friend named Derek who used to step, who used to, uh, stand up for her and everything like that and protect her as well. well so I just wanted to kind of share that. Yeah. My ex had cerebral palsy. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So, but back to the, back to y'all story and everything like that. Um, your ex goes and beats on you for six hours. Um, yeah. By the way, fuck him. Uh, he's a monster <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, I just want to, I just want to boldly and uh, publicly say that flat out. I don't condone any, any man hitting on a woman like that, beating on any kind of woman like that at all. Um. For six hours straight. I mean, just all kind of heinous things to you and everything. Did I mean? I know there's not like there's nothing that you could do in order, order to deserve anything like that. But what started all that? That's what I. That's what I'm curious to know. I had left. You had left, I, and I had decided that I was going to leave that day. Right. And I took Gracie and I went to my friend's house in Washington, just right across the border. It was only like an hour away from where I was at it wasn't up, it wasn't up close to his mom's and he just he was a um, he was a police officer yeah so the, it the, was like a safer place for her to go 
and he was totally willing to house us and keep us safe but when I got there I realized that he had different feelings for me than I had for him yeah and I wasn't comfortable doing that and leading him on and my ex was just hounding me about bringing the baby back um yeah and he threatened me that I he would call the police on me for taking the ba- the baby across state lines. Yeah, because that's a kidnapping charge. Yep, and so I I told him I would come back. Yeah. Um. Wow. So you go through all that. Your ex gets arrested. Uh, you eventually get back in contact with Big Red. You you hire you quote unquote hire him to protect you. And uh, so what happens after that point? How, how, how does, how does all that, how does all that transpire? Well, to we, were up really just, married? we were honestly just friends for like yeah. the first like six weeks. We really were just friends. Like he would take off of work to help me with my yeah. court dates. He was there. We were all friends together, but then, you know, just hanging out, it just, I started to see things in him that reminded me of my grandpa and my grandpa was my dad like he was my yeah. you know he was my best friend and i started to just really care about him and then my daughter started calling him dad and i i told him i said hey you know i think we either need to make this official and date or we need to end whatever this is because it's not fair to gracie like Right. That's not fair to her. And he was like, oh, I have no feelings for you. I want nothing to do with you like that. I didn't say that. Yes, you did. <laughs> I, I wanted nothing to do with you. So I packed up everything. Hold on. Hold, hold, hold on. Hold on. Let's. Let the man defend himself now and everything like yeah. that. I, I, I want the audience to know. I mean, he's saying yeah. he didn't say it like that. So, so right, right, right. So red, red. How? So what did you say uh, that what that? You know, apparently uh, she's saying that you said you, you all right, you have nothing to do with her. Well, obviously, that's a joke. But so what? So how, how did you say or what did you say in that situation? I, I should ask. Well, because I was always like. It's weird. I was always put like the friend zone. So like I was always like, you know, the nice guy and like, never yeah, the girl, I was always in the friend zone. So she was like my first like, I'm going to be like. I'm going to be a dick, you know, like, like yeah. you know what I mean? Like women like animals. protecting you. Like, well, gonna... well, protecting yourself really is what you do is what yeah. I think is what you were trying to do is protect your heart yeah. from, or, or try to soften the blow of rejection is what you were probably trying to do. Right. Yeah. That kind of thing. Like just, like, yeah. no, I'm like, yeah. I was like, no, I like what we have. Like this point we were like sleeping together and stuff. So, okay. Like, it was one of those, like, no, I like what we have. Uh, no, you know, no strings attached kind of thing. And um, so Go I, was ahead just, and tell I was just trying what... to be a, I was just trying to be a dick. And she was always, she'd always get drunk and be like, I love you. And I want to be with you. And I'd be like, well, talk to me when you're sober. Yeah. And she never did when she was sober. <laughs> so I thought I had a good thing going, you know, there for a while. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, it did. It got to that point. She finally actually just left and 
took all the, everything she bought, like pillows and stuff for my room and everything. She just oh, moved I, everything out of there. I stripped everything I bought him. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then to rub it in, I gave it to his roommate. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, no, Elise, no. no. Can you believe that? Oh. <laughs> and then he had the, he had the cojones to ask me to do his taxes <laughs> okay so all right so <laughs> y'all y'all come to this decision or, or you come to this kind of uh crossroads uh, moment in y'all's in y'all's relationship like all right gracie's calling you dad or daddy and everything like that and uh, we need dad. to be either our dad dad whatever and we, and we need to be either serious or we need to you know move on and everything so obviously Y'all chose to move on. What happens after that point, Elise? Well, he calls me and he says, can I take you out to dinner? And I was like, yes. I was so excited. Oh, my gosh. I was so excited. So I how long, well, 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 how, well, how long was this after y'all made that decision? A week. A week? Okay. A week. All right. A week. And all right. I run over to my best friend's house, which is also his best friend. And we're all three but still best friends to this day. And I'm yeah. telling her. I was like, Katie. Derek called and he asked me to go to dinner with him. And she goes, oh, really? He asked me to go to dinner with him, too. And I was heartbroken. I was absolutely what? heartbroken because I was like, I thought it was, I was him. like dinner is like friends. Like yeah. We're all going out. Yeah. So I called and I canceled dinner. And I said, I'm not going out with you like that anymore. And then he said, well, I kind of I kind of lied. And I kind of like you like that. <laughs> And he's like, do you think you could come over? And I was like, sure, I'll come over. And then he said, by the way, I'm sick. Could you bring some Kleenex and cold medicine? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so I, I spent my first night as an actual couple babying him through a man cold. Okay. <laughs> and then we dated for two weeks. And yeah. I received paperwork in the mail saying that my ex was filing for full custody. And my okay. lawyer at the time told me I had to prove how I was raising Gracie. But I couldn't prove how I was raising Gracie because I was working and my friends were helping me and my mom was helping me. And, yeah, you know, I was so, doing what I needed to do to raise Gracie. And um, so he so he was trying to get you through a like proof of income type paperwork yeah. situation. I got you. Yeah. And I couldn't do that. So my next decision was to move away. So yeah. Big Red came home from work and I said, Gracie and I are moving. And he said, why? And I said, well, I can't prove how I'm raising her and I need to. And I can go move with my mom. And she said she would. At that point, she, she didn't have a job. Yeah. Or anything, so and, yeah. Uh, he just looked at me and said, let's get married. And I said, what? <laughs> wow. Let's get married. He said, I'll marry you. I'll raise you. I'll raise her. I'll I, do it. And I said, I know I'm going to marry you eventually, so might as well do it right now. <laughs> yeah. So that was Monday. We told all of our family Monday night. We applied for our marriage license Tuesday, and we were married on Friday. Oh, wow. I remember you telling me about that, that y'all yeah. uh, that, that y'all got, that, that y he proposed on a Monday, he got married by Friday. Yep. And y'all been together ever since. Huh? Yeah. And y'all and y'all been married ever ever since too for, yeah, uh, for a while now. Yeah, it's been what have, uh, on video we have our friends saying it's only gonna last a year. <laughs> How many years has it been now? 
14. 14 years. That's longer than my marriage for sure. So one of uh, our very best friends was just determined it would only last a year and he passed away before we even hit a year. Yeah. So oh, wow. tell Derek that we have to stay together just to prove Chris wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people might not know who's listening because there, there are some people that listen to my podcast that don't, that don't know that I'm on TikTok a lot or they, they don't get on TikTok. And so I know uh, how I met y'all was from TikTok, from your story and everything like that. And that uh, the best way I can describe your story to a lot of people was something similar along the lines of The Bodyguard, the movie from uh, with Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner. And um, compared to that a lot. The New York yeah. Post actually published us as and Newsweek. The, the real and life Newsweek. Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner. Newsweek's the best article, I think. Um, oh, yeah. It, it describes it a lot better than uh, New York Times kind of put or the New York Post. Sorry. Uh, they made it seem more like a a love story, like kind of thing, like just like the movie The Bodyguard kind of thing. But right. Newsweek actually puts stuff in there about domestic violence and things like that, and some some facts, some facts and statistics and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Big Red, I gotta ask you do you do you have a katana that's so super sharp that a uh, that that a piece of cloth can just shred as you as it falls down from the air? No. Do you own one of those? Okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> and for anybody that doesn't understand that reference, that was in the movie The Bodyguard, because I think some of my <laughs> listeners are actually uh, younger than that movie, so I uh, just wanted to let people know that. Yeah. Um, no, we, we've actually never, like, really sat down and watched that whole movie. No. I was five when I watched that movie, so um, <laughs> it's been a while. So, yeah. uh so how was so now that y'all got married so y'all got married and everything like that what happened after that point well after we got married um the little bastard scared of me so he uh he didn't really come around <laughs> well and after we got married we decided to start a family right away but, yeah um we had some infertility issues which i dealt with it differently than big red because a part of my story that i didn't tell um, is when my daughter was only four weeks, po- four weeks old, and I was four weeks postpartum. Um, my ex attacked me and violated me in a public park, and I fell pregnant with a set of twins from it. Yeah, and I had an abortion. Gotcha. Um, so I without blamed, him knowing. Yeah, I told him I had a miscarriage. Um, so I blamed early enough. It was just she had to take a pill, and that was yeah. I blamed those miscarriages on myself and we fought a lot because of that. Um, but then we were blessed with our rainbow baby and yeah. three years into our marriage. And then we decided that Big Red wanted to adopt Gracie. Um, gotcha. That was really the first time we had heard anything from my ex since we got married. So that was like five years into it. Yeah. But we filed for adoption and then he fought it. <laughs> and we went through like a year of fighting him and had yeah. to give up because we couldn't afford it anymore. And the yeah. judge just kept giving him second chance after second chance, even though he never did anything that he was required to do. Yeah. Um, supervised visitations and all that. He wouldn't 
he wouldn't do those, and then he expected me to pay for them for some reason. Yeah. Uh, but then um, we have we don't hear from him. We don't have any contact with him. He he did have another victim who he treated very similar to me, who has reached out to me. Um, who also has a child with him. Yeah, who also has a child with him. I stay in contact with her, and she has actually like apologized to me for not listening because I had tried to warn her. Yeah. And she called me one day, and I'll never forget that phone call. Like It sent chills down my back because I could just hear in her voice that same fear and that same control that I remember having him you know, having on me. So. I, I've heard of very, I've, I've heard of similar situations like this before, time and time again, uh, with domestic violence situations where the first or or a previous spouse or a previous partner, wherever, wherever you want to call it, in those dynamics, um, would leave because of the because of the violence and everything like that, and then they would, you know, either manipulate or groom or charm another potential victim. And they would believe, you know, they they believe their partner's story, right? They, 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 you know, that that similar victim to them probably believed that, oh, this was just a crazy ex or some type of story that, that he wove and created and made up, and just saw, you know, goodness in him until it was too late for her. And that that is a consistent thing I do see. Not every story is like that, but they're very similar. Yeah, um, they groom you. Is, yeah. You know? Because everybody thinks grooming is just for children and everything like that. No, it's it can go into adults. It can go into all types of people. It can go yeah, into. He, he was he's ten years older than me, six years older, yeah. than me, and he was twelve years older than her. And wow. He, he told me at one point that he couldn't change Gracie's diaper because it gave him unnatural thoughts. Uh, so that um, kind of goes into your his, your. Uh, and his dad is in prison. Too. Yeah. And I think he gets out like this year or next year for molesting and raping his own children. What? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. So like, I mean, how, he, so how, how much, how long was he in, how long was he in prison for? Or was it just jail? My ex's whole life, pretty much. Like he went to prison. Oh, it's, my his, ex, it's her ex's dad. Yeah. Oh, her ex's dad. Oh, I, oh, I thought you meant the ex molested. No. Uh, Oh, no. oh my god <sighs> it's just a family you know trait yeah <clears throat> jesus i'm sorry i ugh, that's in you know that sends chills down my spine you're right red that is along the line of what i do as well as yeah. far as the content that i that i talk about um Good God. Burn the family tree from the trunk up. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. I'm really surprised since I've gone public. I really expected a lot of pushback from his family. Yeah. Um, and because his family stood behind him 100% through all of this. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when I, I didn't tell anybody my story for 11 years, I did not speak of it at all. Barely anybody knew. I was a very well-known teacher in my community i we were very involved in our community but nobody yeah. knew my past and nobody knew the truth about like racy really, or anything and it really made our marriage hell for a while yeah i i made me very bitter and very angry i was a horrible mom and like just not the wife i should have been i and 
I was approached to do like a ladies night and I told the lady my story and she was like, that's too intense for me. I, uh, <laughs> it's too much. It was way more than I was expecting. Yeah. But it was free freeing for me. It was like, yeah. I went home and I felt like I had had a ton of bricks lifted off of my chest and I felt free. And that was the day that I decided that I was going to talk about it. And that's my slogan. I say, I'm a survivor and I talk about it. And like, yeah, I can get one message across is like, if we're going to make a change, we need to start talking about the change that needs to be made because too many people just like roll over and hide it. They're like, Oh, it's yeah. embarrassing. It's, it's this. No, it's not embarrassing. No, people don't look at you as weak or frail. Like okay. it's, true thing of course there's going to be the bad people or whatever you know the pretty much the narcissists that you know will tell you that you're being stupid or weak or whatever but yeah um i i encounter a lot of that from different survivor stories uh being being kind of manipulated into silence so uh, i think a common phrase a lot of people want to do and, and this is something i say though when people say they want to sweep it under the rug i uh i burn the damn rug um, because it shouldn't be swept under the rug. And you're right, at least that the only way we can figure out how to solve these problems is to talk about them. Because when you talk about them, then you can find the root cause to them. When you find a root cause and everybody knows what the, what is like, what is the problem? Then we can figure out, well, how do we solve the problem? But people got to know that there's a problem in the first place. You know, I was 35 years old when I learned that lesson. And I tell my kids that all the time. And it, it was really, I had a headmaster at a school that I worked at and he had a no drama policy. And when I, when I say no drama policy, I mean, you, you caused drama, you were getting confronted by, by him and seven other people to yeah. push the problem. And it, it made me see how well we worked as an organization. That was like, we as a world need to work like this yeah we need to just talk about the problem so a yes, lot of times do. it's not it's not what you think it is on the surface you know the problem it's way deeper and you know like it's so you got to talk it, about it yeah i, I think an issue that and, and i remember as a young man i i, I would have this I guess feeling or issue of not getting getting involved with these situations was because of the fact of and I never understood why women would go back and forth to their abusers, right? Like mm -hmm. you, like you would see, and and I've seen this, you know, very consistently too down here where I live at, right? People would try to help a, a woman out in a domestic violence situation, and then they would go back. At least, I, I you know, can you tell people that might be going through that? you know, like what they should be doing or, or how to maybe, you know, for somebody that, that sees that situation, what questions should they ask? What, what should they say to somebody that's going through that? The best advice I can say is block that person completely. Don't listen to them because, and then surround yourself with people of like-minded people that will help you see you through it. You yeah. know, don't let yourself be alone because then you get in your own head and you start running those things through your head that they said, you know, like no one will ever love you like me. You don't deserve to be happy. 
This is what you deserve. You you sit there. You're alone. You run them through your head. The best thing to do is surround yourself with people and talk about what happened. Because the more you talk about it, the more you start realizing how stupid it sounds. Yeah. Like, I know that sounds bad, but, like, when you start saying, like, oh, well, he attacked me because I didn't make his coffee right. It's like, what? wait, whoa, that sounds really stupid when I say it out loud. Yeah. Yeah, and it, now, just, and it lets other people know what's going on. They're more willing to help you. If they don't know yeah. what's going on, they don't know how to help you, you know? Right. It also helps with your triggers. That's one thing I realized is Big Red and I would fight a lot, but it was because he would do things that would trigger me. Instead yeah. of saying to him, hey, what you're doing is triggering me. Please don't do it. I would just get mad and explode. But when I yeah. started actually putting words to those triggers and saying, this is why it bothers me, not only did it help me, but it helped him understand, hey, I'm not reacting to you like this because I don't like you. I'm reacting to you this because it reminds me of the year of hell I lived through. Yeah. Do you think that, oh, what was going to say? Um, do you think that a lot of people that are in domestic violence situations, do you think that they don't leave also because there's a fear of the unknown? Like, well, yeah, there's the fear that you're not going to be successful or be able to succeed. There's not resources out there really that are, when I was, when I was trapped and everything, I didn't know there was resources or shelters or anything like that out there. Yeah. Um, you, you really get comfortable in your spot and you get told so much about the outer world that you get fearful. Yeah. I mean, I was scared to death to call the police because he kept telling me, no one will believe you. No one will believe you. No one will believe you. You know, so in my mind, no one would believe me. Why should I call the police? That's just going to make it worse for me in the end. Yeah. Do you also feel like... I was going to say this too, because you, you did try to leave at, at first. And then, like you said previously, you went to a friend's house and the guy was having feelings for you. The guy that was the cop yeah. uh, was having feelings for you. And when you went back, do you think like, okay, me going back, at least I know what I'm going to expect with him. It could be the same thing, if not worse now that I, now, cause he's a cop, right? Like, was that something, was that, was, is that a legitimate fear you might've had in your mind as well? I, I, I don't, I did not have that fear with this specific person because I knew him really well. Yeah. I knew that he was very soft hearted and like a big old teddy bear. Yeah. It was actually a lot like Big Red. I just, I just didn't, wasn't attracted to him or anything. I got you. Um, I understand. But I did have that fear in just. I still have that fear, even in like when I get a new boss at work or when I get new friends, I have the hardest time making friends because I am prone to find all the flaws in you right yeah. away because that's what I've trained myself to do. Like a sort of uh, like, I think the, I think one of the traits with trauma responses is uh, like a hypervigilance, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. 
going continuing on with the story and everything like that y'all been married for 14 years what's yep. it been like being married to red for 14 years um the first <laughs> 11 were rough well the first yeah. couple were the worst i think because <laughs> it was one of those things where she was always trying like she subconsciously she was trying to get me to hit her like she would get me so angry to yeah. try to get you know to see if i was you know gonna ever abuse her and just one night like i said if i was ever gonna hit you it would be right now <laughs> and i collapsed on the bed and started crying and then it, after that she pretty much got the hint that i wasn't ever gonna hit her <laughs> yeah so in, in december of um 2019 i actually asked big red for a divorce um and if covid wouldn't have hit we probably would have gotten divorced because i would have moved out and but covid hit and i lost my job and i couldn't move out and we were stuck living in the same house <laughs> yeah um, yeah kind of had to learn how to get along a little bit better well i think i stopped i realized because in my mind, we were separated. So when I looked at him, I still saw the issues. But when I looked at other people, I saw those issues too. And so what it made me realize was it wasn't actually him. It was my own pain that I was pushing onto him that was causing our problems. Yeah. But then we moved 300 miles to the other side of Oregon. And Big Red came with us. He left his job which was a lot of hours away from the family and then yeah. in september of 21 um i almost lost him to covid and that was the time i realized like i really love this man like it isn't just like he saved me and oh like we're married and we're best friends like i could not like i had to drop him off at the hospital drive back to my children and tell them that they may never see their dad again like wow that was and ever since he has been sick we have such a different appreciation for each other yeah that it's we have the the things that we have been through in the last two years people tell us all the time we do not know how you guys have made it but it's Sometimes because I didn't together. realize how much I yeah. loved him until I almost didn't have him. Yeah. And sometimes it takes that. Sometimes it just takes iron will and determination to never give up. Yeah. And to see it through. And, uh, you know, till death do us part sometimes. Uh, sometimes that's a an ideal. Sometimes it's a goal, depending on which relationship you look at. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, it, yeah, I mean. It, I don't. I don't believe in divorce unless, you know, there's infidelity and stuff like that. Like I, right. if, yeah, if he didn't agree it, with the divorce. Like he was not happy yeah. with. Me. So I quit my good job that I had <laughs> yeah. and I moved over here and just, I just kind of jumped. I said, you know, she's worth more than a job. So yeah, I, uh, I came over and I started my own business and, it's been successful and um, we just really worked on that. Then, like I said, I almost got COVID, almost lost my business, almost, you know, like it was a hard time for us, but. We actually think, found joy in TikTok. Like that's yeah. actually what brought us to TikTok. 
yeah how low we had gotten we because we almost lost big red and then two days after we got told like he's gonna be okay we lost his dad in the travel trailer right next to us like oh, wow. to him being gone so it was like it was a lot on us and you know we i started just we started getting lost in tiktoks watching people's tiktoks and yeah. i started making tiktoks and we started getting a following and and it was fun it brought joy back to us it brought back like it you know we found people we could relate with people we could talk to and it just it was really great yeah i, I remember i think it was somebody that sent me one of your TikToks that got me onto your story, or I think I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you used the hashtag domestic violence or DV DV survivor or something like that, but I was looking up stories like that. And I guess the algorithm pushed it through to me or somebody, or somebody sent it to me either way. But then I, I went, when I found y'all and I remember my initial reaction to it was, I think I told you something along the lines. Like I tell a lot of people, a lot of survivors, you know, I see you survivor and I love you. And <laughs> Yeah, and I, I say that to a lot of survivors because I truly mean that. You know, um, it takes a lot for somebody to put their story out there. It takes a lot for people to, to be honest and open about what they go through. And I can tell you flat out, being on TikTok, I've learned a lot about trauma. I learned about, a lot about different traumas I knew nothing of, and I had no experience in whatsoever. I mean, a lot of us know about domestic violence and everything like that to a certain degree or shape or form. Uh, very few of us actually, or I'm not going to say a few of us, but a few of us know people that have lived through it and know what the effects of it are. Um, and I think it's good that people like yourself, like y'all, like y'all two are putting y'all stories out, you know, your story out there for people to know what it's like and what it's about and what, that there can be, uh, I guess, hope at the other side of it all, right. That there could be a good ending to the other side of it all. Not to say it's going to be this happy fairy tale, picturesque type of story that you're going to have but at the same time you know there there's a lot better than what you were going through right i mean obviously red is a lot better a uh, better man than you know uh than gracie's bio father and uh i'm just i'm, I'm very happy to know that y'all two have been through the ringer through a lot of years and y'all still stand you know that and y'all reaffirms y'all's marriage and you know are staying strong because of it and it, it does warm my heart to know that. Oh, well, thanks. Big You're Red welcome. actually yeah, Right before I got COVID. Yeah. To, um, to me right before he got COVID. But yeah. we weren't able to go a lot. We weren't able to do the, do the ceremony because we lost his dad. So, but we will one day. Oh, yeah. So... Y'all, y'all finally, so y'all get back together or, or y'all reaffirm your marriage back together and you're getting through COVID, red, you know, Big Red loses his father. What do y'all do after that point? What have y'all been doing since? Well, we bought a home, our first home from my grandma. Um, and she lived in it until she passed in November. So we just moved into it in November. So we're just settled yeah. in our new home and. We tell our story worldwide on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, now on Clapper and YouTube. Yeah. And, you know, we just want to show people that 
like you said, like that there's hope out there that you can heal. Um, there's a hope for happiness and love. And we just like, we want to help people find their light again is what I say. Cause I lived in the darkness for so long and life is so light when you step out of the darkness. Yeah, it is. It really must very much is. We are kids ever since I stepped out of the darkness and we fell in love again. You know, our kids are happier. We have seen them blossom. They see us have a good relationship and, you know, we both work and full time and just tell our story worldwide. You know, there was something that Red told me the other day. And I, I took it to heart because I think it's important people that are married should hear this as well. And I'm, it was nothing bad. It was really good advice that Red gave me. And it was uh, along the lines of when y'all were talking about how, the listeners that don't know, um, y'all do a lot of pranks on each other. You do a lot of jokes. You have a lot of laughter amongst yourselves. <laughs> and Red said, that, you know, to do that as often as you can because it keeps a marriage alive. And so I appreciate that advice. And I wanted to share that with uh, with the rest of the listeners listening in and everything like that, that if you are married, you know, treasure your spouse, enjoy the funny moments with them, you know, keep it interesting because life is too short. You got to have fun with each other. I mean, it, no point if you're not having fun with them, you know? Well, in yeah. that time that I talk about our marriage being dark and stuff, that we lost that during that time. We, yeah. we didn't play like we do now it was just bye bye and, you know. oh hey how's it going you know and now yeah. i'm sure that we prank each other and every time i get home one of the first things i do no matter if i'm mad or grouchy or whatever i give them a hug and a kiss and how are you doing honey because it's my bad day is not his fault right yeah, and you can't project your bad days on them either. Of course, you know, there are those times when it happens, but don't bring, yeah, but your, not, work home, don't bring your work home with you. <laughs> yeah, you can't be, it, it can't be every day is a bad day type situation, you know. Yeah. You gotta, you do gotta enjoy the, fun, the, 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 the good things, the small things in life as well. Um, me and my wife joke with each other all the time. Uh, we, she pulls pranks on me here and there. Um, I'll tell y'all, I'll tell you and the listeners a funny one and y'all going to laugh your asses off at this. So be prepared for some, for a good one. So my wife, you know, I give, you know, we, we both have different streaming apps that we have access to or that we both pay for, right? She pays for half of my pay for the other half. And then we, you know, we give each other the passwords and whatnot and this, that, and the other, uh, you know, and we pay, you know, of course, Yes, Spotify and every other streaming app out there, we do pay for uh, access for two people. We do not sit there and, and only take the cheaper rate. Uh, anyway, um, so she goes, so we'll have our profile set up and everything like that. Well, my wife, you know, we, 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 we joke on each other. We roast each other. We dunk on each other very badly sometimes. And I got to say, she does come up with some pretty, she comes up with some sick burns on me. So uh, one thing she, uh, she put on all of my, uh, uh, profiles and everything. She uh, she put a uh, turtle wiener on all my profiles. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't realize it. Like I, I first noticed it on my Netflix account. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and laugh. <laughs> yeah, she makes fun of my small wiener. I know. Um, 
<laughs> and uh it's it, you know and, and so she uh so she put turtle wiener on my netflix account and everything like that and i just realized one day i was going through it and looking at it and it's like recommendations for turtle wiener and i'm like <laughs> at first i thought it was like you know how sometimes they'll say you watch this so it's recommendations for watching this i'm like what the hell is turtle wiener and i'll go and look up and i'm like there's no movie <laughs> called that and then uh and then i look and i and i go look at my profile and i'm like you freaking heifer no, you didn't. No, you freaking did. Um, and she and she's just like, and I told her about it, and she just like, wait, what? Oh, and she just bust out giggling and laughing like for about a good solid ten minutes, and she's like, you didn't, you didn't realize that? I did that like a month ago, and I'm like, I, that's so funny because I I called a at least a salty heifer the other day in front of her <laughs> in front of her coworkers, and they were all getting on to me about it, and I was like, we joke like that all the time with each other, like. Yeah, I mean, you gotta have fun. Like, don't take everything so seriously. (laughs) Exactly. So my wife does jokes like that and everything. And of course, uh, there's times where um, she 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 gets all giddy and everything like that. I remember getting back at her like a week later. She was proud of something that she did, and um, she was so happy and gleeful and everything like that. And I said, you know, you are right, Ainsley. Let me give you a hand, and I'll just clap him with both my hands, knowing she can't clap fully with both of her hands and everything like that. <laughs> and uh, you know, we just joke back and forth like that. And you know, she, we all take me and her both take our jokes with in stride and everything. If it's too much, if it gets too offensive, you know, she'll we'll we'll, we'll say it to each other. I obviously don't take a lot of offense to her jokes and everything because you know I, I understand you know. But of course, women, you know, and and I love y'all. Y'all are some. Y'all are some uh, very interesting creatures on this earth, but y'all are also some frustrating ones too. Um, you know, we, we joke all the time. Huh? I'm an angel. You're an angel. Okay, well, he never does I'll, anything to make me angry. Nope. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I will say this. Here. No, no. <laughs> so look for for Mary, since y'all been married for 14 years, uh, have have read? Have you finally figured out what she wants to go eat at the restaurant? Or where she wants to go oh, eat at? No, you. That's a no. He is I way still, worse of a decider than I am. Don't. I. Even, I will have to agree with her. He like I can never decide. I decide every single time because he won't. I beg him to decide because I don't care. I really, truly do not yeah. care where we eat. And but I know if I pick the wrong place. It's not gonna be That's pretty. Not true. <laughs> <laughs> so I just let her decide. Oh, but it's yeah. food. It's everything. He, you can't give this man two options. He, he is not an option man. It I is- don't care. I, you know what? To 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 speak up for Red. To to speak up for Red because I know what this feels like. Um, and look, I'm gonna talk about just restaurants so we keep it simple with that and everything. Most times. Uh, we don't care what, what, what we want to eat. Like, like we just want to know where we're going so we can kind of think of, cause especially if we've been there a bunch of times, what we're going to eat at that particular restaurant. Right. Like my wife loves to go to Outback Steakhouse, but she doesn't like to go all the time. But I know that if she picks Outback Steakhouse, all right, I know we're probably going to get a blooming onion and I know we're probably going to get some steaks or I'm going to get some, some salmon or something like some fish or something. I, I'm, I'm going to get something along those lines. I know what I'm going to get. But then if she goes, well, I don't know what I want to eat. Do you want to go, you know, and I say, okay, well, you want to get out back? No. Do you want to go to PF Chang's? No. Do you want to go to Olive Garden? No. Do you want to go, you know, like you list five or six different things and it's all no, 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 no. Okay. Well, what do you want to eat? I don't know. 
And that's the frustrating part men have with their wives. And I, and I think any good marriage, you're, that's going to be 95% of your arguments, especially if you, you know, people don't stay home and cook, which me and my wife, we don't because we're both busy. You know, she has a business that she runs and I, I have a full-time career. So at the end of the day, even though we both can cook, we don't like to cook and we just want to, you know, take the easier option and just go get something to eat. Uh, and I know a lot of, and I know a lot of people and a lot, a lot of young couples, they, they get into these marriages and everything like that. And that's going to be one of their biggest arguments they have. I've seen it with young people that are married and I just tell the guys, I like, look, you know, I, I still don't have a foolproof answer for that. Like, I don't have a, I don't have this blueprinted out made up, you know, foolproof method to, to, to save yourself from the argument. What I have done before in the past, I'm like, well, guess where we're going to eat? I don't know, Chick-fil-A? Yes, we're going there. That's exactly where we're going. Even though I had no <laughs> no, no thought in my mind to go eat at Chick-fil-A. Yes, we're going to Chick-fil-A. Let's go. Good. Then she caught on to that, and then it's like, I don't know if I want to go there or not. Ugh. And that's the, that's the frustration that men have sometimes with women. Hey, so, half, the, half the battle is not choking her. I do honestly have to say, though, we don't have that problem because I learned I get very hangry very quick. And yeah. I learned very quickly that if I argue with him, I will get hangry and we will fight. So if I say, what do you want to eat? He says, I don't know. I choose because yeah. it's going to go on for all day <laughs> and tomorrow and we're all going to be starving. Because I know yeah. he's hangry. <laughs> Because he so, won't choose. He just won't. He can't. It's impossible. Well, well, what it is, so like my, the reason why I won't choose, yeah, well, the reason I don't choose is because when I choose about five or six, ten different things, that's all nose to them. So I'm like, look, just pick something so I can have it in my mind where to go to. I know one, I know the one type of food me and my wife are not going to go eat, and that's Mediterranean food. Like, she doesn't like it. I particularly don't care for it too much. I'll eat some, some things, but... Yeah, not, not, we're, you know, we're not big Mediterranean eaters. Right. But for the most part, you know, you, it's usually, uh, you know, it's usually steak, um, or it's Mexican or it's Chinese food or Italian food or, or American food. And like, that's pretty much the, the, the five big options. Right. We really like, li- we really like Thai food. We both yeah. really like it. But. You know, I try to get my wife to try Thai food and, uh, she, it was all right. Like we had the pho. That faux or pho food, oh, whatever no, you want to call like, it. Like well, and, and like, well, yeah. like Japanese food too, like you know, like the sushi and stuff like that. We, we really like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, anyway, enough about food and everything like that. I just, yeah. I, I, I kind of wanted to show that brief glimpse in the uh, marriage for some of our uh, younger listeners who were thinking about getting married. Uh, that's the problems you're going to face in a marriage uh, sometimes. Those simplistic problems like that. Well, something uh, to do with domestic violence like if like you know if your significant other has been in an abusive situation you know and you get married you know and that's in their past you know like what we were talking about earlier like you need to communicate that with your spouse i think that's one of the biggest, biggest reasons for it not working out um is your partner not communicating you know, what is wrong and what triggers them. And communication is key when it comes to a marriage and not just arguing with each other. You know, that's not communication. A good tool that we used is, you know, we had a pastor that really saved our marriage um, and taught us how to talk to each other. And, Mm -hmm. and it's one person holds an item and yep. they say how they feel and the other person can't talk until they have the item in their hand 
but yeah what they have to do is repeat back to that person what they heard yeah yeah like in a little five minute burst yeah, yeah so yeah, one person and talks forth. and they're like okay you feel this way because of this and i feel this way because of this you know and it's like and it really gets you down to how the other people you got to go at it of course with an open mind and you know like um really want to communicate with them you know and yeah and 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 a lot of arguments can start from the most simplistic of things right like i can start an argument right now on this podcast you know toilet paper when when it's on the roll over or under right that's 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 another big marriage a hot hot button argument just to make it to the roll Hey, we used to have a, I, I put a sign in the bathroom because I like mine, you know, facing the front. So, like, I put a sign up in the bathroom that said, beards are cool, mullets bad. And it had the toilet papers in different directions, pictures of them with a face on them. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I... But, yeah, but... That, that's a little argument, but not bad. Yeah. And, 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 and it... In marriages and everything like that, sometimes it's like they, they, some of those simplistic arguments can lead to something big and everything like that, which I don't think it, that's y'all's case or anything. But that was just a, a little bit of a glimpse for the people who are about to get married or who are newly married and everything like that. You're going to have some of those things. And, you know, hopefully that, you know, they can take some, a little bit of your advice as well. You know, let the person talk for five minutes, don't interrupt, re- repeat it back. And that's how you do get to the root cause of some issues as well. Me and my wife have done that before, especially. And is it always perfect? No. Does it always does it always go that way? No. But you have to have the mindset to say, look, you know, like I'm like you about it as well. I don't believe in divorce unless it's something major and everything as well. That things can get worked out. You know, problems can you know problems come and go. They they you're gonna have problems no matter what. Anybody that says they don't have problems in their marriage, uh, I I highly you know, I'm highly you know uh, that that's that's sus, right? Like how the kids say, it's very sus, bro. So I you know you're right it's all about communication with with your partner and you have to have a good level of communication to have a successful marriage in my opinion so i'm glad that y'all have went through the ringer and i'm not glad you went through it but y'all y'all went through the fire y'all came out and y'all still going on strong even though y'all had moments and times where it was dicey where it was iffy y'all still you know y'all reevaluated what was important to y'all and Y'all still here. And I'm glad that you're out there. Both of y'all are out there sharing your story. I do have one thing I want to say, and that is, um, Red, where is my damn calendar that you promised all the good people? (laughs) We're waiting till spring to get it because it's a little cold out there in his overalls right now. I got you. I got you. In case my, in case my listeners don't understand what I mean by that, a while, a little while back, uh, Red gave gave Elise a challenge saying that if uh, one of his videos didn't or one of the videos didn't get to a certain amount of likes or a certain amount of uh, views and everything like that, he was not going to pose for a uh, calendar with him and his overalls and everything like that. And so <laughs> I said, oh, hell no. I definitely I definitely want you to go do this calendar. So I went and I, I asked the I got at least permission to promote that video and everything like that, and I think it went well. It, it exceeded the uh, the 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 like and the view count that uh, oh, yeah, Red put on like, that challenge. It got like twenty thousand likes. I only asked for three thousand. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should ask higher ed. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now I got to do a a calendar. Oh yeah. And you got to sign it for me too, buddy. I'm gonna make sure to have it at the house and everything. You're gonna sign it yeah. for me. I uh. We're yeah. gonna release it 2024. All right. Well, all That's good for me. 2024. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm gonna. I'll. Yeah, I'll do another challenge. I bet my calendar will sell more books. Sell more than her books. Oh wow! Oh, that's some <laughs> no, fighting it, words right there, Red. No, it it won't. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no. oh, look, but, Red. Yeah, look uh, at that calendar. All right, look. I, I have a comfy couch over here in Louisiana in case you need it. All right, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I I could use a good uh crawfish broil right now <laughs> oh yeah oh well i'm gonna tell you bring some money red because that's some expensive crap down here uh oh, <laughs> that's yeah? for rich folk now yeah they, oh man i'm gonna tell you a little bit of louisiana history since i grew up out here it used to be a poor man's uh uh pastime and everything to have a crawfish boil and then people started mainstreaming it and uh making a making a big market and a big industry out of it now i mean it's just uh we know it's inflation and everything like that too gotta have some good money to have a good crawfish boil now um wow but yeah, uh, look, I'm gonna tell y'all if you ever y'all ever decide to move out of Oregon and, and find a different state to come live in, uh, Louisiana ain't too bad. Uh, I think you might enjoy it out here. Uh, you know, sportsman's paradise. If you like hunting and fishing and whatnot, I think you'd enjoy this this great state. And, yeah. uh, a lot of good people and everything like that. Good food for sure. Uh, I, I you know I, I've never had anybody that came to the state and said our food sucks. So um, there's that. Well, that's yeah. awesome. But, oh yeah. Well, look. Yeah. I I definitely appreciate y'all sharing y'all story with me. I'm glad to know y'all on TikTok and everything and I'm glad to know that uh that there's good people in this world that have uh a little bit a little bit better of a happier ending than some of the case, some of the interviews I've done on here. And so I'm thankful for that. I think okay. it's much needed to have. Well, thanks for having us. Yep. Thank you so, for having us on here and letting us tell our story. Oh, no problem. So look, for my listeners that don't that aren't involved with y'all on TikTok and everything, where else can they find you? Where else can they reach out to y'all at? Where else can they see your content at? You know, just plug well, it away. On, we're on Facebook. Um, just under my actual name, it's Elise Stevens. Um, and then we're on Instagram and YouTube and under Big Red's Wife. And then we're on TikTok and the wow. Clapper under Big Red's Wife Official. Okay. Well, that sounds great. Well, look, y'all. Y'all be safe. Y'all have a good night. Y'all have a good week and a good month. Good rest of the rest of marriage and years. And don't be a stranger. Call me whenever y'all can. I know life keeps us busy, but uh, I love to stay in contact with y'all. Like I tell anybody that I interview, uh, I'm you know I'm always a phone call away. And if I can't talk to you right then and there, I can I'll definitely get back in touch with you. All right. All right. Sounds sounds good. good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Y'all have a good night. All right, bye. All right, bye. Bye. So now that you heard that interview, I wanted to give y'all some statistics about domestic violence and how often it actually does happen. That it's not just a rare one-off occurrence and that it's not even rare one-off how violent these things happen either. So in the United States, more than 10 million adults experience domestic violence annually. If each of these adults experienced only one incident of violence an adult in the u.s would experience domestic violence every three seconds however because domestic violence is a pattern 
many experience repeated acts of abuse annually. So an incident of abuse happens far more frequently than every three seconds. One in four women and one in ten men may experience sexual violence, physical violence, and or stalking by their intimate partner during their lifetime. They can also have what they call IPV-related impacts, such as being concerned for their safety, PTSD symptoms, injury, and or needing victim services. Approximately 1 in 5 female victims and 1 in 20 male victims need medical care. Female victims sustain injuries three times more often than male victims. 1 in 5 female victims and 1 in 9 male victims may need legal services. 23.2% of women and 13 13.9% of, of men experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner through their lifetime. From 2016 through 2018, the number of intimate partner violence victimizations in the United States increased 42%. Wow. On a typical day, the domestic violence hotline, hotlines nationwide receive over 19,000 calls. An abuser's access to a firearm increases the risk of intimate partner femicide by 400 percent. In 2018, partner violence accounted for 20 percent of all violent crime. Intimate partner violence is is most common against women between the ages of 18 to 24. 19 percent of intimate partner violence involves a weapon. Y'all, ladies, especially, especially you young ladies, protect yourselves as best as you can, however you can. There are self-defense classes. There are lethal and non-lethal weapons you can have and obtain to protect yourselves. Learn the red flags of abusive and narcissistic and controlling behavior on top of it. Educate yourselves, young ladies. If you know a young lady in your life between the ages of uh, 18 to 24 especially, educate them, y'all. Take them under your wing. Tell them how bad domestic violence is. Teach them the signs about control. And... The more they know, the more they can look out, the more they can guard themselves and protect themselves from this type of shit. So the impact of domestic violence. Domestic violence is prevalent in every community and affects all people regardless of age, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, gender, race, religion, or nationality. Physical violence is often accompanied by emotional abuse, by emotional um, I'm sorry, by emotionally abusive and controlling behavior as part of a much larger systematic pattern of dominance and control. Domestic violence can result in physical injury, physical injury, psychological trauma, and even death. The devastating consequences of domestic violence can cross generations and last a lifetime. That is a true fucking statement right there. I don't care who you are. That is as true as it can get. The biggest thing about it is dominance and control. That's what a lot of these things have in common. These stories have in common. Dominance and control. Whether it's against a man or against a woman. It is about some form of control. 
that these people have and they want over their partner's life. And it's heartbreaking when you see them go through these things and they've been conditioned, groomed, manipulated into believing that this is the best that they'll get for them. That this is as good as it's going to get. Or that they deserve it. That breaks my... When, when I hear those things, reasons why they stayed, that breaks my heart. Because nobody deserves to be treated like that. Nobody deserves to be harmed and done that way. And while people say, well, they're grown people... I've heard people say, well, they're grown-ass people. They make their choices and everything. Sometimes it ain't that simple. It really ain't. It's it's more complicated than that. People need to understand that. It, it's about control, y'all. Just help somebody as best you can. Tell them you're there for them no matter what. You know, stick it out with them to the bitter end. You might be the last vestige of hope for somebody and possibly save their life because you're sticking it out with them. And you're going to protect them. I know it's hard when they go back. I never could understand that until I've actually started talking to, to these women that went through that and they broke free and what it was. But like Elise said, it's because they feel like, you know, this is good as it's going to get. You know, this, is, this is what they deserve. Uh, nobody else is going to love me. It happens. It happens more often than y'all think. Sexual assault with domestic violence is a thing as well. You know, one in five women and one in 40 men in the United States are victims of rape or attempted rape during their lifetime. Nearly one in five women and one in 12 men may have experienced sexual con sexual experience sexual violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. From 2016 through 2018, the number of rape sexual assault victimizations in the United States increased 146%. What the fuck is wrong with people? What the hell? 146% with from 2016 to 2018. Uh, uh. Y'all, no means no. Consent is a thing. Keep your fucking hands and, and your body parts to yourselves. If they don't want you, they don't fucking want you. Take the L and move on. Good God. Stalking. Stalking victimization in, involves a pattern of, har of harassing or threatening tactics used by a perpetrator that causes the victim to fear for their safety or the safety of others. 19.1 million women... And 6.4 million men in the United States have been stalked. 66.2% of female stalking victims reported stalking by a current or former intimate partner. 1 in 10 women and 1 in 50 men have experienced stalking by intimate partner during their lifetime. You know, I know from both men and women, you know, they're partner, ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, going to their job sites, going to their places of work, um, going to their house all the time, stalking them, harassing them on the phone. That shit does happen. Hell, I've had people that I know currently now that either are going through it now or 
just getting out of it with that shit alone. Look, like I said previously, no means no. Alright, take the L and move on. Because if it, if it was my daughter or my son and somebody's stalking them like that, you're not going to want me to step in and get involved because I'm going to be your biggest fucking headache enemy, pain in the ass, your worst nightmare, wherever the fuck you want to think of me. Because if you're going to fucking stalk my family or somebody that I love and care about, bitch, you better believe you better come packing with all the, with, with all the hell's arsenal to stop me. Because I don't give a fuck about the law at that point. Because you didn't give a fuck about the law. Why should I? Stop stalking people. It ain't worth it. Homicide. With domestic violence. One in two female murder victims. And one in 13 male murder victims. Are killed by intimate partners. Half of the. Female murder victims. Y'all. One in two. Half of them. Was killed by their intimate partners. Jesus. A study of. Intimate partner homicides found 20% of the victims were family members or friends of the abused partner, neighbors, persons who intervened, law enforcement responders, or bystanders. So, if you uh, you get involved in domestic violence, there's a 20% chance you're going to get killed. So, I tell anybody, stay strapped or get clapped. Flat out, this is why you need guns. So, you can protect yourself. From, from fucking monsters. 65% of all murder suicides are perpetrated by intimate partners. 96% of murder suicide victims are females. Wow. Most intimate partner homicides are committed with firearms. Abusers' access to firearms increases the risk of intimate partner femicide at least fivefold. When firearms have been used in the most severe abuse incident, the risk increases 41-fold. Jesus. While the overall rate of intimate partner while the overall rate of intimate partner violence has decreased, intimate partner femicide has increased in recent years, driven by an increase in intimate partner femicide committed with a firearm. Basically what that means is is that uh, you know, the person who's dating a woman or something like that, doesn't say man or woman, just says a person, partner, uh, it's increased, you know, using a firearm against their partner. Uh, mm, 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 mm. The physical and mental effects of domestic violence. Victims of intimate partner violence are at an increase of contracting HIV or STIs due to forced intercourse and or prolonged exposure to stress. Damn. Intimate partner victimization is correlated with a higher rate of depression and suicidal behavior. Only 34% of people who were injured by intimate partners received medical care for their injuries. That's only a third, y'all. A third of domestic violence victims. Victims of intimate partner violence lose a total of 8 million days of paid work each year. 
the equivalent of 32,000 full-time jobs. That means anybody that's a victim of domestic violence, all the all the people that are that are that have domestic violence going on in their life in this country each year, right? 10 million people annually. They're losing 8 million days of paid work each year. So it also affects the economy. I know that's kind of kind of cold and callous to say that, but it affects our economy. So if you don't care about protecting people or anything like that, and you care about, I don't know, the country and money and shit, then this ought to fucking affect you too, then. Yeah. That's, that's the least of my worries, but intimate partner violence is estimated to cost the U.S. economy between $5.8 billion and $12.6 billion annually, up to 0.125% of the national gross domestic product. Damn. Between 21 and 60% of victims of, of domestic violence lose their jobs due to reasons stemming from the abuse. I've heard of that a lot, too. Between 2003 and 2008, 142 women were murdered in their workplace by a current or former uh, partner. This, this amounts to 22% of workplace homicides among women. I've heard of stories like that, too. Dude couldn't handle it or a woman couldn't handle it, losing their partner. What do they do? They go to their workplace and shoot them up. Or beat or beat them and brutally kill them. It's got to stop, y'all. And if you want to find those statistics before I lose track, it's with the NCADV. I guess that's the National Committee Against Domestic Violence. I believe is what it's called. No, National. I'm sorry, National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. It's from their website. All right, the NCADV. National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Y'all want to find those stats? That's where I found them at. You can gladly go and research them and see for yourself. Listen to what I was saying. I read it off. I mean, I read it off their website. They got all their they got all their little bookmarks to where they found all the all the empirical data for it and everything as well. Minus my colorful language. <laughs> but yeah, those are some stats for y'all. This shit affects us a lot more than we think. I didn't even know about the economy. I, I just, as I'm recording this, I was just reading the economy side of it. I read the other stuff before, but I, the economy part, I didn't know that. I didn't know it cost our, this country so much money. Um, You know, just wow. But I mean, it's, that's, I mean, that's just minuscule compared to how, compared to the other aspects of it, in my opinion, though. It's just, I ain't going to say a fun fact because that ain't fun to know that, but just a good tidbit, I guess, to learn. Y'all, this is a bad problem in our country. This is one that doesn't get addressed enough. I thought it was at one point, but it's still happening. I mean, there are statistics with, you know, even just different, I mean, you can go even deeper and break it off into different trades, right? Work, work professions, and domestic violence as well. I'm not about to go into all that with it. I'm, I'll leave that at that. Y'all can go look that up as well. Some professions have higher cases of domestic violence than others do. I don't know why. It just is what it is. 
Either way, putting your hands on a woman, putting your hands on a man, putting your hands on somebody that you love, that you claim to love and care about is fucking wrong. If you love that person, you're not going to hurt that person. You know, there was an author that had wrote books about a character that he wrote about that would go around killing pedophiles and rapists and, you know, other criminal scumbags, right? Abusers and stuff like that. He said something over the course of his lifetime and his work that was profound. And it was kind of consistent. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing what this author said. His name is Andrew Vosk. Vosk? Or Vach? Just, it's weird how he spells his last name. It's V-A-C-H-S-S. Uh, if you ever go look up Andrew Vosk, he's got a, a eye patch on his, uh, you know, he wears an eye patch over one of his eyes. And uh, he also rescues dogs. His wife was a prosecutor for child sex crimes. He said this in one of his, in, in different interviews and stuff like that. And I'm paraphrasing what he said, but it goes along the lines of this. To think about harming you know, sexually, you know, or, I'm sorry, to think about being aroused by children sexually, that's sick. But to act on it, that's evil. You know, and, and you can apply that statement to just about anything, right? Like, to think about harming somebody you love, that's sick. But to act on it is evil. And so we need to call this shit out for what it is. It's fucking evil. Domestic violence is evil, y'all. It is a psychological, physical, economical disaster that can ruin somebody's life. Some women don't make it. Some men don't make it. You know, we should be able to choose who we love. We should be able to be loved back. And if we don't get loved back, then you find a partner that's going to fucking love you. Or don't find a partner that, that, that loves you. Whatever the case may be. But we've got to be more aware of these situations. And we've got to be more supportive of the ones who are going through it. And realize that it's not that they don't want to be helped. It's that they feel like nobody can help them. And they might as well just stick it out in the situation that they're in. Don't let that fucking be the bullshit answer for you to stick your head in the sand. Be somebody like Big Red. Be somebody like my granddaddy. You know? Granddad, my granddaddy didn't, didn't put up with that bullshit. Big Red didn't either. Be somebody like that. Stand up and help protect these people. Whether it's a man, a woman, or anybody that identifies in between. Help them. Because they're going to need it. Now look. I know this was a very long episode. I know uh, it's a little bit longer than I'm normally doing. But I didn't want to break this one up into two parts. Um, I just didn't think it would, it needed to be, for one thing. Secondly, um, not everything needs to be a cliffhanger of, of an episode either. I think, you know, some of y'all, if you're going to listen, you're going to listen. If you listened all the way to this point, my God, I love you. Thank you. I know I'm not the world's best podcaster. And I'm definitely no... Joe Rogan or Woody Overton or any of the other people that I know in podcasting but I will tell you this this is my labor of love I don't make money off of this 
This is what I do in my free time. This is what I do because I felt for so long nobody would speak up on these issues. And I couldn't find nobody. I, I, I didn't see enough of it going on. So maybe if I started speaking up on it, it'd get other people to start speaking up. Get other people to stand up and do something. Because look, I'm no hero of any revolution. I'm not the face of any revolution for sure. I'm definitely not the face of radio. <laughs> That's for damn sure. But I'm a man. And I am sick and tired of seeing good, sweet people being hurt. Tired of seeing babies being hurt. Tired of seeing men and women being hurt. It's enough, y'all. Whether it's domestic violence, rape, pedophilia, the troubled teen industry, uh, pick a trauma, I'm, I'm tired of it. Because it's heinous. It's wrong. We know to be better people than this. But because we're so consumed in our comfort and our comfortable little way of life, we don't want to break that you know, break that little little bit of comfort that we have, I guess. That's all. I, that's the only reason I see why we don't stand up and protest more and, and do what we got to do because we're so busy with our lives and having to pay these bills and just, you know, keep propping up this system that obviously isn't protecting people like it's supposed to. You know, I, I mean, it. what the hell, you know? There was a time where good people would stand up for what was right. And I think it's time that we all come together and we all collectively stand up for what is right. And I know for damn sure, rape, pedophilia, domestic violence, that shit's wrong. It's heinous. There's nobody no good. And we need to try to eradicate it as much as we can. Now, I'm not going to say you can ever eradicate it completely and fully, but Oh, we need to put fear back into some people that think that they can just go and hit somebody and do whatever the hell they want to people. Or at least give them the same treatment they give their partners. So anyway, y'all, if you want, you can find me on uh, TikTok, Facebook. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Clapper, um, everywhere but YouTube right now, I think. And, uh, you can find me on there. Follow me. I have a Facebook uh, podcast group. It's called A Man Apart Podcast. Real easy to come find me on there. Got any questions? Got any concerns? I, you know, I have I have an admin and a moderator on there as well. Um, they'll let me know if something needs to be addressed immediately. As you know, look, I work a full time job just like a lot of other podcasters do as well. I don't have time to run my social media all the time like I want to. <coughs> oh, I'm sorry. But I can try to get in touch with you as soon as I can. Uh, TikTok usually is the fastest place because that's where the most activity is at. And, uh, I, you know, it's it's a monster to keep up with that. But those are the two best places, the two best sources to keep up with me. So, especially TikTok. You might find a little bit of my humor, um, my dark humor, uh, entertaining. Especially when it comes to pedophiles and rapists. Just saying. Just jokes, y'all. <laughs> Just jokes. So they can, you know, people can like Bobby Lee, that fucking comedian, can go and sit there talking about raping a twelve-year-old in Mexico, and call that a joke. Well, then I can joke about skinning fucking pedophiles alive, can I?
because since they're all just jokes, Bobby Lee. That's a whole nother episode, a whole nother time, y'all. If y'all don't know who the comedian Bobby Lee is, he, he told a joke about raping kids. Oh, yeah, and it's just a joke. I don't know the fucking punchline to it. I don't know what's so fucking funny about that, but apparently that's just a joke. So, anyway, enough of all that. I know I'm a little bit uh, hyped up right now, and uh, I don't want to get too ultra blood violent right on here. This was about Elise and Big Red's story, and... Um, what y'all don't know is I had edited out a, a, a portion of this post ep, post uh, part of this episode because I just went on a fucking five-minute tyrant against the man that hurt Elise. And it was bad. Y'all, it was bad, bad, bad. And I'm having to edit that out because I don't think uh, Spotify would let that shit fly with everything I wanted to say. So instead of me getting my, you know, episode shut down everything like that i think i'll just edit that out and keep that to myself all i can tell at least his ex is uh fuck you so but to elise and uh and big red i love y'all i hope y'all get to hear this all the way to the end and just know that i'm glad y'all came on my podcast and i'm glad to see that y'all are that y'all are doing better in life and that i hope y'all continue to make those happy memories I love y'all too. And for everybody else, remember, protect all children even if they're not your own. The Bowman see, and the Bowman never forget. I love you all. Bye.